welcome back to Round 12, the podcast that will always be dedicated to growth, development, and motivational mastery. I'm your host, Sensei Roger B. Hamilton. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of the Round 12 podcast series. Let's go get it. In the Zone. in spite of obstacles. The following dialogue is a story, a story of challenge, trial, struggle, and circumstance. All tools for carving out a path to peak performance and the involuntary behavior which translates to confidence leading up to your own special championship and a firm example of being directly in the zone. The zone, that crazy place where everything, no matter how difficult, comes around to make sense, where trial and effort become accomplishment and success. If you can get familiar with this crazy place, this elusive zone, then you may have some unfinished business in your life, some additional mountains to climb, and maybe even some doors to close behind you before you open your new ones. It is my hope and the hope of this podcast that you can get introduced to or remember your best self. The self that is reliable and focused and motivated and driven and who believes in his or her own power to get things done. Here's hoping that you will refrain from being consistently problem-oriented and become thoroughly solution-oriented to get beyond those pesky barriers ahead. You can do it, if you think you can, and if you've done it, you know you can. Here's a snippet of one kid's story. The story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the guilty. <laughs> State champion. There are two main characters in this story, 
One is Lester Hendricks, and the other is Rogan Bourne. Rogan is, for all intents and purposes, the protagonist here, and his voice is the guiding light. These two young men exist in challenging life circumstances and use their method of establishing clarity and developing their courage within the sport of high school wrestling. Listen in to discover whether you see yourself or someone you know blended or woven in the context here. If you have ever been in the proverbial zone, you may very well be familiar with the time, place, and feelings associated with this story. If not, keep listening. You may just learn something anyway. Let's go get it. It's May of the year, 1973. Rogan Bourne, the 15-year-old African-American teenager, and his mother, Alma, have been continually at odds. Rogan has left home and for the last two months has been surviving on his own. When his father died unexpectedly several years before, the challenges to his family have been many. Rogan hates his mother's aggressive nature, her intense yelling, his continuous housework, and being responsible for caring for his three sisters. Since Rogan left home, he has stayed in touch with only his middle sister, Brandy, by telephone. We join Rogan and his best friend, Lester, on the central New Jersey street, in an altercation with local gang members. Rogan continues squinting and shaking his head, desperately trying to clear his vision, as Junior emerges through the crowd and just stands there holding a shiny aluminum baseball bat. It's as if he's been hiding from the fighting and commotion the whole time. All we hear up to now are grunts and thuds and smacks until Rogan sees Junior and barks defiantly. Junior, you know damn well you had no business beating on that girl on the street like that. I wasn't going to let you kill that girl. Junior now has center stage. All the others pause briefly to let him to the front. He looks toward Rogan with an unemotional, subdued, but purposeful glare. While the pause is only seconds, it feels like slow motion, and it looks as if the stare is eternal. Suddenly, Junior rears back in full hitter's pivot and swings the baseball bat in what looks like the hardest swing he could possibly take. He hits Rogan square on his forehead with tremendous force and knocks him to his knees. The hollow sound is like dropping a watermelon to the ground. The blow opens a large gash in the front of Rogan's head immediately and blood spurts from the opening. Everyone eagerly watches Rogan gather himself from his stumble and struggle to get his head clear. Blood is now streaming from Rogan's head, but in spite of his day's perspective, he's still trying to fight through it. The surrounding crowd gasps, and their eyes are as big as saucers. The bright red blood seems to surge and flow like a stream down Rogan's head and face. By now, all of Rogan's antagonistic enemies, who also seem stunned, have grabbed Junior and piled quickly back into their cars. You can hear the engines roar and the tires screech as both cars speed away. Rogan catches a glimpse of the cars leaving and spontaneously breaks out of his fog. With an angry look of determination, he starts to run in the direction of the cars as they drive away. For this second, he seems like a crazy man bent on vengeance, even if he has to chase them down on foot. Sirens are blaring in the distance. It's as if Rogan hears them and suddenly recognizes what's happening. He stops short, reverses direction from 20 yards away, and turns to come back.
His face is painted bright red from the stream of blood, and his shirt is now soaked in the redness. Rogan now looks a gruesome mess, as an even larger crowd has now gathered. We suddenly see the police car and ambulance arrive simultaneously. Rogan is pacing and mumbling to himself as the paramedic team rushes toward him. We fade to black as the image of Rogan's bloody mass is the last we see. It's Middlesex General Hospital, Memorial Day afternoon. Rogan lies there in the hospital staring at the ceiling, still fuming with a look of unresolved anger and intensity. The room is dead quietly. Suddenly, with no warning, we see a face appear and quickly press up against Rogan's face. He tries quickly to move his head and adjust his vision, but the strength of the connection would not allow him to move. This face was pressed on for dear life. Simultaneously, we see the dripping moisture of tears streaming and we hear the quiet sobbing that accompanies them. It is Alma. Once Rogan recognizes who it is, he never flinches. He looks indifferent with a cold, solitary indignation. He lies there as stiff as a board. The frown remains on his face. He is locked in his own world. His mother's face is pressed desperately against his, but he won't talk or move. Alma is sobbing. Rogan, please come home. Rogan answers defiantly. No! Alma begins pleading and sobbing. Rogan, you've got to come home. Please, I'm so sorry, please. You've got to come home. Alma asks and pleads and insists and squeezes Rogan's face until his reasoning takes over and he surrenders. Okay, okay. We see the presiding doctor return with the nurse in tow. Alma backs away and hurriedly wipes the tears from her face. They ask her to please wait outside. She raises up. Alma, sniffling, looks down at Rogan. Rogan, I'll be outside, you hear? You hear me? Rogan nods slightly, and Alma leaves the room. It's Alma's beige Plymouth Valiant. The afternoon sun is sinking, but still beaming through her windshield. Alma and Rogan sit straight up in the front seats. No words are exchanged for the entire ride to what used to be Rogan's home. He has a bandage wrapped all the way around his head like a turban. They arrive and squeeze to a halt in their home driveway. Rogan looks groggy. The pain pills have taken effect. The mother and son climb from the car and walk slowly but carefully into the back door of the house. Brandy is standing there in the kitchen, with tears streaming down her face. She and Rogan make eye contact. Rogan looks away. Brandy looks overwrought with sorrow. Without speaking, Rogan makes his way to the familiar door that was once his bedroom. He opens the door slowly and closes it behind him gently. The sun is shining brightly outside still, but the room is dark with tiny hints of light sneaking through the corners of the blackout curtains. Rogan sits down on the edge of the bed and looks around the room. Suddenly he pops up from the bed and darts from the room. He begins making a beeline to the front door in the living room when his mother rushes over and steps in front of him. Rogan is scowling and yelling, Move on my way, Ma! Alma is calm and pleading, Rogan, where are you going? You need to sit down! Rogan barks again, Ma, just move out my way! 
Alma expresses with a caring frown. Now, Rogan, you don't need to go out and start no more trouble with those boys. Rogan is still yelling. You don't know nothing about it. You better move out of my way. Alma, offering rhetorical reasoning. So what you gonna do, kill me too? Alma is now physically wrestling with Rogan at the front door. With Brandy looking on, crying, Alma is insistent and will not give an inch. Rogan, I'm not letting you out of here. If you go out that door, you're just going to do something you'll regret forever. Alma's eyes are piercing and looking almost through Rogan. Rogan and his determined mother go round and round, yelling back and forth at each other. Alma's expressions go from quiet and sympathetic to her standard loud and angry back to quiet again. The exchange is as passionate and powerful as can be imagined. After peering deeply into Alma's eyes, with his nose flaring, his breathing heavy, and his rigid stance, finally, Rogan turns and stomps back to his bedroom. He slams the door hard behind him. Suddenly, it's dead quiet, and all you can hear is Brandy sniffling and still crying for her dear brother. It's still May of the year, 1973 in the state of New Jersey. Rogan, the African-American teenager, and his mother, Alma, are seen driving up to Winternet County Courthouse, an imposing circular-shaped brick building with large windows, premium shrubbery, and tailored grass aligning the front entryway. It has been several days since the gang attack incident. Rogan and his mother arrive at the courthouse, and Rogan's indifference to the proceeding is obvious by his expression. He has decided firmly that he must kill any and all members of this group if he is to mentally and emotionally survive. He can't sleep anymore as peace eludes him. The huge gash in his forehead is stitched up, but his head throbs with pain continually, and his countenance is angry, so angry. The look on his face could kill a corpse. Rogan's street credibility is at stake. His payback goal and thoughts of violence dominate his thinking. While he and Alma's relationship is challenged beyond measure, she makes her own distinct effort to mend fences and support her son. Alma speaks to Rogan as they enter the courthouse. Come on, Rogan. Th that Junior Stephenson got all kinds of trouble on him already, but we're going to talk to this judge about our case. Come on, let's go inside. The legal recourse Rogan's mother has taken leaves him cold. He neither likes nor trusts the law enforcement community and has signed off from his mother's new efforts. The two enter a cavernous, circular-shaped courtroom with many stairs descending toward the front of the facility. It is colorful with flags and banners surrounding the room. The courtroom is so noticeably deep that sound seems to echo when someone speaks. The room is almost completely empty, as the two of them choose and sit carefully in corresponding audience seats. Rogan still has his white turban-like bandages wrapped tightly around the top of his head. A police officer dressed in full uniform, sitting in a chair near the center of the room, suddenly stands up. All rise, he says, as presiding judge Arthur Jacobson, dressed in a black robe, comes dashing into the room. Rogan and Alma are now standing. 
Judge Jacobson in his forties with brown hair and streaks of gray sits down. Then, with a firm disposition, he speaks through the microphone. Be seated. Everyone in the room sits down on cue. The judge speaks again. First case, Alma Harrison. Rogan's mother answers courteously. Here, sir. Judge Jacobson looks up from his desk and barks in a dictatorial tone. Approach the bench, please. Alma tugs on Rogan's arm and they both walk several steps forward. Closer. Step up here. The judge barks. The two adults, Alma and the judge, conduct an exchange where they discuss the case, the charges, the event that occurred, and the process to expect going forward. Rogan, the formidable-looking man-child, is frowning and looking out toward the windows of the room. The judge looks over and seems to notice Rogan's indifference to the proceedings. And you! He spoke so loudly that the microphone squeaked with scratchy feedback. Rogan turn, turns his head quickly toward the front of the courtroom. Still frowning, he looks directly at the expressive authority figure. The judge is now sternly peering at Rogan with a no-nonsense frown. You'd better listen to me and listen well, young man. If you've got any ideas about going out and taking the law into your own hands, you had better forget them. Your mother has filed charges against the parties who assaulted you, and this is a case for the law to handle. Rogan is looking at the judge with no change in his angry expression. Alma is looking closely at Rogan. The determined judge speaks again. You cannot go out into the community and effect justice yourself. Of all the citizens that I see in my courtroom, if they all took the law into their own hands, nobody would be safe to walk the street. Let me make something perfectly clear to you. If I hear that you have gone and initiated a confrontation with any of the involved parties in this case, I will have no mercy on you whatsoever. If you come back here to my courtroom and anything has happened to either of them, I will charge you to the fullest extent of the law. Rogan's facial expression has softened slightly. The two continue looking at each other directly. Judge Jacobson barks again for ultimate confirmation. Do you understand what I'm saying to you, young man? Rogan pauses for a moment, seeming to think about his answer. The voluminous room is completely quiet. The judge waits impatiently for Rogan's response. Rogan, with his lips pressed firmly together, shakes his head up and down minimally as he answers, Yeah. The room fades to black as we notice Alma peering intently at Rogan, seeming to hope he has the fortitude to abide by the judge's forceful direction. It's January of the year, 1974. The shower is running. Its knob squeaks as the water stops. The body of a muscular African-American male comes into view. We circle to face the fully steamed mirror where we see the blurred image of Rogan, who is now 17, but looks older. He swipes his hand across the mirror to clearly show his clean shaven face and neat cornrow braids, which surround a puffy, diamond-shaped scar high on his right forehead. His expression is stern. He stares intently into his own eyes. He says, says these words to himself 
in a whisper, state champion. Rogan drapes the light blue towel around his waist, opens the bathroom door, and walks out into the narrow hallway. We follow the sound of R&B music to Rogan's adjoining bedroom, which is incredibly decorative. Brilliantly colorful images of male and female African warriors make up the series of surrounding black light posters. Dark blackout window curtains hang from two windows with cascading images of muscle cars, bodybuilders, and 70s era cultural awareness symbols like Angela Davis and her large round afro dominate virtually every inch of the room walls. The king-sized bed nearly fills the space. Assorted athletic gear is lined up sequentially at the bed's edge. The gear includes an imprinted wrestling uniform singlet, athletic supporter, socks, jump rope, headgear, and four full warm-up uniforms. The perfectly folded items seem to decorate the bed with importance and purpose. Rogan's neat, organized nature seems to show itself by the care he takes with this room and his gear. He gets dressed quickly and powers into his favored Garden High School Warriors sweatshirt. Now ready to roll, he methodically grabs each neatly folded item from the bed, including his edge-worn wrestling shoes. He places them inside a pillowcase-shaped gym bag, which is folded nearby. Rogan throws the filled gym bag over his shoulder, shuts off the music, closes his bedroom door snugly, and walks to the adjoining living room. At the opposite side of the living room is the enclosed set of stairs which lead up to the bedrooms for Rogan's three sisters. Rogan stops and yells up the stairs. Okay, you guys, I'm going to my meet. Brandy. Rogan's 11-year-old sister is Rogan's favorite person in the world. She's a curious, attractive, and bubbly young girl who would stick with Rogan through anything. She answers for all three sisters in a perky tone from up the steep stairway. Okay, good luck, Rogue! Rogan responds quickly. I'll bring some food home after, okay? Thank you, Rogue! Brenda answers again. Clad in his blue and gold varsity jacket buttoned all the way up to fight the winter cold, Rogan dashes out the door and begins his walk of about a half mile to Garden High School. He is moving at a quick time pace. He makes his way along the central New Jersey streets until he reaches the expansive commercial front lawn of the wide two-story brick building. He crushes the cold grass under his feet until he arrives at the front entrance. He yanks open the door of the one, two sets of double doors, and we see the sprawling polished tile floor as Rogan walks down the familiar hallway and makes his way to the boys' supply room. Naked male bodies, standing in two parallel lines, occupy the back of the room. The athletic boys stand in all shapes and sizes. A five-foot-tall triple-beam scale is staged prominently in the center of the room. A clipboard-yielding referee stands nearby. He aggressively calls his next weigh-in candidate by name. Rogan Bourne, 158. Rogan, standing nearby, answers, right here. Step up, son, the referee instructs. Rogan approaches and places one foot, then the other, gently on the scale. It's obvious that this formality has everyone in the room captivated. During this procedure, you could hear a pin drop, as it always is ghostly quiet during weigh-ins. 
30-year-old Tom Vale, Rogan's intense wrestling coach of German descent, strides over with his usual swagger. Vale and the stern, focused opposing team coach stand on opposite sides of the scale. The officiating referee for the meet stands attentively behind. He begins moving the dials gently and carefully along the measurement line. Vale stands to the left and stares at the scale like it will run away if he takes his eye off of it. The referee barks his reading. 157 pounds. Step down, please. Vale speaks directly to Rogan. Okay, good. You made weight. Get dressed, born. Rogan, cooperative but expressionless, shoots back. Yes, sir. The wrestler weigh-in line keeps moving as Rogan hurriedly climbs back into his clothes. Now dressed and ready, Rogan walks alone out the weigh-in room door, through the empty hallway, removing his new lock that Vale has just given him from the small box. We can hear the muffled sound of 20 to 30 fans who have already entered to watch the match. Rogan reaches the main gymnasium and his demeanor changes dramatically. Four aggressive-looking young black men hover over the entry to the gym. He walks past the spirited figures and tosses the small box from his hand into the face of one guy in the group without looking at him. His eyes now piercing while looking straight ahead, Rogan walks into the gym and again through a small door on his left about 20 steps away. His team waits for him inside the locker room only minutes from beginning their competition. Carson Palmer, who's 15, and a teammate and great friend of Rogan and Lester, is a spunky, muscular, good kid from a solid two-parent family. He's all dressed to compete. Carson walks briskly, briskly into the locker room. He approaches Rogan, who is now staring at the locker in front of him like he is meditating. Carson speaks excitedly to Rogan. Man, I just passed Daniel and them in the hall, and he said, you better go talk to your boy. Rogan flicks his head up quickly. Oh, really? He responds with a pronounced frown. Rogan pops up from his seat like it's on fire and rushes eagerly past his scattered team members back into the main gymnasium. Cars trails briskly behind him and stands nearby as if to document the exchange. Rogan is now standing like a coiled cobra. You got something to say to me, motherfucker? Rogan's eyes have a look of ferocity as he peers like a laser beam onto all the members of the group. His veins are bulging from his neck like blood rivers flowing down from his head. Daniel is a former football player and a graduate of the same Garden High School. Daniel, frowning, answers back. Hey, what's your problem, man? Rogan screams in reply. You're my problem, motherfucker! All you punk-ass motherfuckers! Cal, the pretty boy, is one year younger, taller, leaner, and, has, and is less intimidating than his brother Daniel. Still, always the loudest, angriest, most combative character of this group, Kel looks irate and answers back. Fuck you! You want us? We're right here, motherfucker! The loud voices all echo in the hallway and throughout the gymnasium. Coach Vale walks up quickly and looks piercingly at the screaming young men. Angry and confused, Vale yells out into the air. What the hell is going on here? 
Spawn, what are you doing? Vale's head is swiveling and surveying the entire group, as if he's trying to see how he can make sense of this very unusual circumstance. Kel, cynical and defiant, replies sarcastically, Yeah, you better talk to your boy! Vale snaps quickly, Get the hell out of here! Vale is known to be bold, direct, and unfazed by aggressive, mouthy street dudes who often intimidate many teachers and some coaches. Rogan and his friends like that about him. Vale stares at Rogan. Born! Get in the locker room! Without contesting, Rogan slowly withdraws. He walks two steps backward and turns to leave the scene. Rogan walks into the locker room, hangs his head, and plops down on the bench. Vale pushes through the door a couple of moments later and races toward Rogan. Vale in an anxious tone, barks. You have to wrestle in a few minutes, and you're going to get into a fight before a meet? What the hell is wrong with you? Rogan, quietly pleading. Vale, you don't understand, man. Rogan's head shakes slowly back and forth with conviction. Vale is uninterested in yelling. Don't give me that. I don't understand. I don't understand what? That you're a leader on this team and that you let these punks draw you into a fight before a meet? You just get yourself calmed down. Jesus Christ. Vale storms away, frowning and shaking his head. Rogan sits quietly on his bench seat like he's the last man left on earth. None of his teammates say a word. Rogan's friend Lester is now 16, but carries an old soul. His body is six foot one and still growing. He's athletically dominant, adventurous, and he is still Rogan's closest friend. Lester bursts into the locker room after having weighed in at 170 pounds next door. His eyes roll with his youthful indifference, and he walks over toward his friend, who's in that faraway place. Lester quietly speaks. You all right, man? These two seem to have the ability to communicate telepathically on many exchanges. This is one of those moments. Rogan doesn't answer aloud. Lester doesn't ask again. Silence then covers the room like a blanket. Everyone slowly gets dressed and ready as they sit there in the quiet home locker room and wait for their cue from Vale to enter the gym. As always, you can see and feel the overwhelming nervousness like a fog layer dropping in. But not Lester. He always is the comedian. He breaks the silence while looking across the room. Damn, cause I can hear those butterflies flapping away in your stomach all the way over here, man. Cars is like Rogan and Lester's little brother, and Lester always has a good time picking with him. Cars answers back, frowning. Shut up, man. I'm good. How about you, sucker? Lester answers confidently. You know me, man. I'm always good, Holmes. I'm ready. Accepting his team responsibility, as if cued in by the humorous exchange, Rogan snaps out of it and speaks up in his leadership radio announcer voice. All right, fellas, let's go get this win. Suddenly, Vale steps quickly into the quiet locker room. Everyone, everyone knows what time it is. Gather around here, guys, Vale delivers. Okay, it's time to get this done. All I need is for you to do your best out there. Don't worry about who this team is and what they've done. 
Just worry about who we are and wrestle your best. It'll all work out fine. We've got this. Is everybody ready? Bale barked loudly. The GHS wrestling team group consists of 12 athletes who can be a really loud group when cheering or talking all at once. In response to Vale, they passionately sound off. Yeah! Vale offers a crooked smile and motions to the gym door. Then let's go kick their butt! The team lines up at the door, gleaming in their blue and gold warm-ups. On Vale's nod, they start running in a straight line out of the locker room, then run around the mat three times until they form a tight, full circle. The audience claps and cheers to greet them. The winner's arm is always raised high above his head by the referee. After eight matches, the 158-pound class is called. Bale stands, looking over for eye contact. Okay, Bourne, you ready? Rogan quickly peels off his warm-up uniform and snaps his head downward in quick acknowledgement. His muscularity is ex- enhanced by the tight-fitting wrestling singlet. Vale gives him a second look and raises the palm of his own hand high. Smack! The sound of a customary butt slap before each GHS wrestler goes out. Rogan runs out to the center of the mat as the crowd cheers and kicks the bleachers for more noise. Rogan's strong, chiseled body always seems to get an extra look or two from his opponents. The two seasoned competitors shake hands and the referee blows the whistle. For some reason, the crowd is very loud tonight, and correspondingly, Vale is always a screamer. Each match, you can hear his loud, encouraging, chastising, sometimes maddening voice. Vale is now clapping rhythmically. Okay, Bourne, let's go! Yes! Usually, the two opposing forces circle and grasp and tug and paw at each other, trying to find an opening. But tonight, Rogan shoots the double-leg takedown right out of the gate. He lifts his rugged-looking opponent high into the air and down to the mat with beautiful control. The referee signals by pointing his fingers to the sky. Two points! Vale is screaming out of his mind already. He loves it when the plan comes together. The whole team rises and yells like they're at a music concert, a standard response in wrestling when a move is executed well. This match is already driving at a very quick pace as Rogan immediately breaks the kid's shoulder down and spins to turn him to his back. You can see how experienced Rogan's opponent is as his movement and center of gravity is helping keep Rogan at bay. They both slide quickly off the mat. The referee blows the whistle loudly. The two release each other and head back to the center. Rogan is still on top position. The two wrestlers get into the classic referee's position and wait for his whistle to restart the match. Bale, still clapping, offers direction during the pause. Okay, Bourne, break them down, let's go! A loud whistle sounds, and and like a spark of lightning, Rogan slides from behind and over to the side of the opposing kid's body. In an effort to gain full control, he pushes the top of his head into the opponent's ribs and pulls his knee and head together like a bow and arrow. In a perfect near-side cradle, Bale screams, That's it, Bourne, that's it, squeeze! Flash bulbs are popping, which means the yearbook crew is in the building. The crowd is in a fury. Rogan's team is jumping up and down and throwing their fists in the air. 
Rogan has this guy on his back with his arms hooked around his knee and his neck, bending his body into a U-shape and tilting him backward. The referee drops to his belly, waving the air like he's polishing it. With his eyes bulging, he suddenly smacks the mat hard with the palm of his hand. Pin! The wrestling pin is recognized as the ultimate domination of a given match and signals the immediate ending to the contest. The match is over and the gym goes wild. One minute and 16 seconds. Done. Bale is smiling wide and happy with the outcome. Now that's the way you do it, Bourne. The familiar referee raises Rogan's arm high into the air. His competitor shakes his hand courteously and they nod. Rogan reaches down to take the wraparound off his ankle, which signifies who is red and who is blue and hands it to the referee. The referee, who seems to be at many Garden High School matches, offers an acknowledging nod and half-smile. Good match, kid, he whispers. Thanks, Rogan replies between short breaths. The positive energy is back in the air, because Rogan's team members each take a turn slapping him five as he jogs back to his team's sideline. It's Lester's turn now. You can hear and see the loud... You can hear and see... The loud smack as Vale hits Lester on his butt, like he does everyone, but he always cuts his eyes at Lester, as if he never knows quite what to expect. He offers his encouragement with a slight frown. Okay, Hendricks, let's go. The team is quieter now. Lester makes them almost meditate when they watch him. When you think about it, the wrestling mat is the only place where Lester is free. He draws and sketches and paints like an artist in his own distinctive way. Like Coltrane on the sax, he just plays to entertain himself. He seems to make life's issues go away and fly with the birds because he wants to, he needs to, and because he can. Unfortunately, Vale knows this and just watches to see what happens next. He has never really coached Lester. He more accurately tolerates him and his outstanding ability. Our coach respects Lester's talent, but rejects his enigmatic manner. The 170-pound wrestlers shake hands. The loud referee whistles, whistle starts the match. Like the snap of a whip whirling forward, Lester extends his arm and lifts his opponent's leg high into the air. He has executed what we call the ankle pick and makes him bounce on one leg for a while before he takes him down. The referee points high into the air. Two points! Bale yells encouragement to Lester. Yes! Lift! Come on, Hendricks! Let's get this done! You can see Lester's facial expression change as he spontaneously ponders his thoughts for a moment. Then, immediately, he makes a new decision. Lester releases his opponent and lets him back up. The referee points one finger high into the air. One point! Bell yells at Lester. What are you doing? Take this kid down! He stomps his feet in frustration. As a rule, Lester prods, pokes, laughs, and jokes with everyone, yet is the most superstitious person of his age anywhere. It seems that Lester doesn't listen to anyone but Rogan and trust him implicitly to do or say what works for the two of them. For whatever reason, they are linked at the hip. The match goes forward for all three two-minute periods, after which the loud whistle sounds, signaling the end. Lester's arm is raised high into the air from the elbow because Lester is so tall. 
Leicester wins the match by a whopping score of 17-2. to There is nothing else to say. Ultimately, the wrestling meet ends with GHS victorious as a team. The spectators file out of the room and both teams begin walking toward their respective locker rooms. Coach Vale signals to Rogan and the two of them remain standing in the gym alone. Vale speaks pointedly to Rogan. Bowen, did you see the way you wrestled tonight? In spite of the fact that you started out angry, you calmed down internally and got it together. Did you see that? Rogan, looking down at the floor and peeking upward with a sigh, responds, Yeah, I saw it. He concedes. Vale continues his commentary. Kid, you got your whole life ahead of you. Don't make the mistake of giving so much power to those people who have no concern for you or your life. You have to find a way to get over this crap and move your life in the direction of growth, development, and success. If you get mad every time the wind blows, you're never going to find the life you want. You need to realize, kid, that life is not perfect for anyone. But what you do with your circumstances and your opportunities means everything. Pay attention to the good stuff, kid. It's sitting there waiting for you if you want it. You get me? After a brief silence, Rogan responds. Yeah, coach, I get you. The quiet overtakes the setting and the two say goodbye for the night. Next, we see two varsity jacketed figures executing a firm and steady walking pace. They're carrying their gear bags over their shoulders. It's a dark, misty, cold December night. Both young men are wearing their trusty Converse sneakers. Man, I'm hungry, Lester blurts out. Hey, what about some... Rogan finishes his sentence for him. What, Mr. B's? He offers as though he's reading Lester's mind. Yeah, brother, Lester snaps back. I'm ready for that beef burger right now. Rogan offers a half smile. Bet, let's hit it. I've got to get the girl some dinner anyway, so let's go. Rogan heads home to feed his three younger sisters. He's always taken on a great deal of daily responsibility by caring for them while his mother is away at work. Not a perfect situation for him. He hates the role, actually. But he and Lester are always aware of how this works. The young athletes make their way to the brightly lit, welcoming 50s-style burger joint, Mr. B Burger. There's a 20-foot image of a buzzing bee at the top of the sign. They stand in line with no objection and place their order through the sliding vent window. They replay the details of the meat out loud to each other, with animated movement to go along with it. Even though it's cold, they continue talking while standing near the benches and tables outside until they hear Rogan's name called. They grab their bags of grub and start walking toward Rogan's house around the corner to end their night. It's Rogan's bedroom and the night is moving forward. The two drop their soaking wet bags of wrestling gear on the floor and dive into their paper bag dinner. They trade continuous lip smacks as they devour their food. Hang on, man. Rogan interjects between bites. I'll be right back. Lester looks up and nods as Rogan is walking out the door to check on his sisters. Rogan confirms that the girls have now eaten as well, and all the people in the house are coming to rest. Rogan offers his closing comments for the night. All right, y'all. I just came up here to say goodnight. I got to go out tomorrow. Mommy won't be home until later, so I'll get you your breakfast in the morning before I leave, okay? See ya. Good night. All three sisters 
Little Alma 12 is named after her mother, who is named after her grandmother. Carolyn 8, the surviving twin, who's as cute as can be, and the ever-present, ever-curious, never-to-be-denied Brandy, who was blessed with uncanny awareness and spunk. All three sisters chime in together in harmony, two in one room in upper and lower bunk beds and one in the adjoining room alone. Good night, Rogue! See you tomorrow! Rogan hits the light and descends the steep stairs to continue his night. It's Rogan's bedroom. Rogan and Lester now sit here in the decorative space that Rogan has spent years cultivating into their sort of clubhouse main office. While Lester does not live here, he never seems to sleep at his own home. Some days, he's even here before Rogan get home, gets home from school. Since he attends the special alternate school, he gets out earlier than Garden High. These two boys need wrestling to give their lives order and purpose, without which there are way too many surrounding pitfalls of the street life to pull them in. Time passes quickly. It's now January 1975. Rogan is at home alone tonight. Although he has gone to bed for the night at nine, after less than an hour, as the clock shows, he wakes up sweating. He has another bad dream. For the last year and a half, every night, he has them. He sits up quickly and wipes the sweat from his face. He stares for a few moments, then leans, sitting forward, with his elbows pressing on his knees. He gently rubs the scar on his forehead up and down with his first two fingers. He stares placidly out into the quiet, pitch-black room. Before you know it, it's early morning on Saturday. Rogan stands up from his bed and decides, in an instant, to take a three-mile run. He reminds himself daily to stay in shape and train. Wrestling season is in full swing, and the holiday tournament is coming in a few days. Not emotion, not turmoil, not home life, nothing gets in the way of wrestling. 100 push-ups and 100 sit-ups first. Then Rogan dresses in the standard multiple sweatsuits and gear. He suddenly can't stop the musical cadence from bouncing around in his head. You got to get down, 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 down. He even whispers it to himself aloud, along with this consistent reminder. You got to get down, 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 down. State champion. Suddenly, his manner seems to jump to motivation and purpose. He walks over to the record player in the corner. He drops on the album of one of his favorite bands, War, and borrows motivation from their new album. The song starts, and he bobs his head up and down to the music, smiling.
Before you eat your breakfast, you got to get down. You got to get down. Yeah. You got to get down, 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 down. He stops the music on his designated cue. Time to run. It's a brisk but sunny winter day when Rogan starts his run. He's out faster on today's course. He smiles as he runs past his high school building. His breathing is even. His gait is balanced and steady. And if his past performance and behavior are indicators, his focus is determined. He even serves as his own motivator when he speaks firmly out loud on the street. Stay champion. He barks. Rogan's senior year wrestling season is firmly underway. We morph into the Garden High School wrestling room. The team is gathered for another grueling practice. Coach Vale barks out instructions. Okay, men, great job. Let's split up. Half the team on climbing ropes, half the team on the pegboard. Let's go. Suddenly, a large man enters the room. Coach Vale looks up. Vale yells over to him. Oh, hey, Bryce, come on in. You wrestling with the team today? Bryce, the hardcore, always stern African-American, built like a tank past graduate and football wrestling champion, nods back and answers. Yep. Vale happily answers back, then jump in. Good to have you. When Bryce shows up to practice, the team level steps up as well. Bryce is an exceptional athlete who pushes Rogan and Lester and serves as a bit of an assistant coach for Vale. Bryce, Lester, and Rogan are already friends and have countless experience as street soldiers and guys who have done lots of things to earn their stripes and are strong, confident guys. Each week and on any given night, Bryce, Lester, and Rogan meet to analyze all the matches and celebrate each victory together. The newspaper articles have become more and more complimentary of their success, so they have a lot to talk about as they read through them each week. The latest sports page Headline reads, Garden Tri-Captains Undefeated. Lester and Rogan smile as they read the positive press. They are anticipating their final meet against their fiercest rivals, Piscataway High School. But first, they have to get through Winterville High and go figure, Rogan's only loss in the Christmas tournament. And now a bona fide wrestling rival, Baron Sterling, who has also dropped down to the 148-pound class as well. It's Winterville High School, nighttime in the main gymnasium. Vale is now screaming as loud as he ever has before. He's going crazy. The packed crowd is going crazy. Both benches are going crazy. Lester is actually hopping up and down, and Rogan is in the center mat. Vale is screaming, pull your head out, pull your head out, boy, you can do it. Just pull your head out. You got it. Come on. Lester is also yelling at the top of his lungs, Come on, Rogue! Pull your head out! You got him! Bryce is there on the sidelines, watching calmly and attentively. Rogan has shot the takedown against his only wrestling rival, Baron Sterling. His undefeated record is at stake, and he is down by one point on the score. Both wrestlers are obviously exhausted. Rogan has this very determined kid on his side with both arms wrapped around him, but Sterling is holding Rogan's head for dear life. No takedown until Rogan pulls his head out for control. The referee watches closely. Three seconds to go. 
Vale screaming desperately, Pull Pull your head out! The loud timer sounds and the referee blows his whistle. The match is over. Sterling wins. Two to one. After three grueling two-minute periods of man-to-man competition, Baron Sterling has come out on top once again. The only thing that could surpass his performance was the celebration he and his team have on the sidelines. They go absolutely nuts. Vale greets Rogan back at his bench. Vale, shaking his head, hoarse and dejected, offers his comment. All you had to do was pull your head out, Bourne. Rogan, sweating profusely, breathing hard, looking directly into his coach's eyes, offers what seems like a much wiser response than we would think. (sighs) Coach, I got to give him his due. He beat me straight up. If I ever get him again, he's mine. Vale is upset, but Bourne looks resolved somehow. Coach Vale peers over at Rogan several times during this meet, as if something is on his mind. We fade to black. We enter Piscataway High School on a cold New Jersey night. This is the final night of the Garden High School wrestling team's season against their fiercest rival in every sport, Piscataway High School. The team stays as a unit until the heavyweights weigh in last. Together, they walk over to the visitors' locker room and prepare for the challenge. There is an eerie quiet as everyone dresses in their uniforms. Even Lester is quiet. He is desperately seeking redemption. He was beaten the previous year and in the district tournament by Piscataway's meanest and toughest wrestler, Jack Hansen. Everybody thinks Jack Hansen is a little crazy intimidating his opponents by his preparation for each match. The very large, muscular, unsmiling wrestler will always throw all the chairs on his team's bench aside and yell like a madman before stepping onto the wrestling mat. His coach never questions him or tries to restrain him. Apparently, his team knows not to get in his way. We join the pivotal match with a referee waving. Vale is screaming. Bridge, Lester! Bridge! Come on! Turn! Back to your base! Maybe in some ways Lester was beaten before he got on the mat because Hansen gets him again with a pin in the second period at just under the four-minute mark. Rogan has won and Jordan has won, but the team loses every other match. Lester is inconsolable. In spite of it all, The three top teammates, who are designated tri-captains for the team, push through the challenge and win the district and regional championships. The very special realization has come to pass. Rogan, Jordan, and Lester will compete in the upcoming state championships. It's Garden High School. Evening. Vale's office. Coach Vale has called Rogan into his office to talk after practice. Knock, knock. Rogan has showered and dressed and is outside of Vale's door. Vale offers in a strong tone. Come in! Rogan sticks his head inside. Hey, coach, you want to see me, man? Vale, slightly frowning, looks away and down at his desk. Born, come in. Have a seat, he offers methodically. Rogan sits down briskly and then sits straight up. He's wearing his varsity jacket which seems to be gleaming from his pride in wearing it. 
Bale brings his eyes to meet Rogan's. Bale speaks in a calm, quiet tone. You remember last year? And Stalling beat you in the Christmas tournament? Rogan pressing his lips together and rolling his eyes. Yeah, man. How could I forget it? Bale continues. In spite of that beginning, you had a good season last year. You could have been captain alone then, but Dexter was a senior, and it was the right thing for him to have it. Rogan answers quickly. Nah, it's, it's okay. No problem. Snake was cool. Bale is immersed in his commentary. But this year, the way you filled that leadership role, and the way you took this team inside of you, and the way you brought your scholastics up, Rogan is surprised and smiling. Oh, you know about that? <laughs> yeah, I've been working kind of hard. A little more to go until June, but... Vale corroborates his understanding. Exactly. You have, and it shows. In the old days, we would have kicked you off the team for your schoolwork. But you were worth the risk. You wound up delivering a great message to these kids coming in behind you. Here you are now going into the, in the New Jersey State Championships, and you're taking your teammates with you. But you're a leader now. You're a young man now. And I just wanted to tell you, one man to another, that I'm proud of you. Rogan, seeming surprised, answers. Yeah, thanks, Vale. You have already made Garden High School history. And tomorrow, you're going to be on your way to making state history. Vale is now peering at Rogan. Rogan is now looking down at the floor in humility. Vale drives home his final points. But you be sure to take this all in and remember what you did to get here and how you busted your ass and learned something about yourself and what you're capable of. Don't ever sell yourself short again. It's time now to make yourself a champion on the mat and off of it. Go out there and take what's yours, kid. Go be a true warrior, our warrior. Rogan is now staring at Vale with tears in his eyes. Rogan offers back in a broken voice. I, I will, coach. I, I promise you, I, I will. Thank you. Seriously, sir, thank you. Rogan stands up and reaches to shake Vale's hand. Vale ignores it and comes around his desk with open arms. The two men hug each other for the first time ever. Vale now has glassy eyes as well. They let go and Vale extends his hand as if in formality and Rogan complies. They stare at each other and Rogan nods downward. There's a long pause between them. Rogan looks up. Good night, coach. Vale responds. Good night, kid. We notice the large image of two opposing wrestlers on the back of Rogan's jacket as he turns to leave. The door closes and the room goes quiet. Vale sits down and looks away. It's the Garden High School hallway. It's nighttime. Rogan sees Lester leaving the locker room as they connect in the hallway. Lester spits out as he's quick walking toward Bourne. Yo, man, you ready? Hey, what does Vale want anyway? Rogan, cutting his eyes to the left as he answered. Ah, oh, he just wanted to tell me to do my best tomorrow. Lester snaps back. Yeah, man, he always, you know, Vale always trying to tell somebody something. 
Rogan smiles a small smile. Yeah, he does. Huh. He sure does. It's early morning in Rogan's home kitchen. Rogan and Lester are preparing to go to the big tournament. The entire community is excited about this accomplishment. Rogan's sisters and neighbors and all kinds of people are going crazy to attend. This has been a great struggle for Rogan, certainly to endure a host of challenges, look after his sisters and stay focused has been a hell of a struggle. But here he is. Alma, Rogan's mother, even after all these years, has never attended any of his meets. Surprisingly, she stops him at the back door. Lester is already in the car waiting. Rogan is standing at the door of the kitchen and is anxious to get going when Alma opens the door from her bedroom and emerges to purposely speak with him. Alma speaks in a quiet, gentle tone. This is unusual for this intense and fiery woman. Rogan, do you want me to go to your game today? Rogan look, looks up with his eyebrows raised. Nah, ma, that's okay. You don't have to. Thanks. Alma nods gently, then turns to go back to her bedroom. She closes the door behind her. Rogan then nonchalantly turns toward the exposed porch and out on out the door. We arrive at Jadwin Gymnasium in Princeton, New Jersey. Coach Vale, Rogan, Jordan, Lester, and Bryce arrive early and make their way inside the 250,000-foot square foot facility with five levels of seating. This is the largest facility they've ever seen, let alone competed in. They are all looking around in awe when Vale speaks. Vale reaches inside his jacket pocket while simultaneously speaking to Jordan. Jordan, hold this tape measure, please. Now walk over to the end of the mat circle and put the tape down on the edge. Jordan grabs the tape measure and begins walking. Okay, he answers from the mat's edge. Vale takes his end and places it on his edge. In an elevated tone, squatting, Vale asks, What's it read? Jordan answers in an elevated tone as well. 28 feet, he barks. Vale stands up and calls to Jordan. Okay, good, wind it up, come on back over. Jordan makes his way over while the others all watch. Vale waits for Jordan, and when he has everyone's attention, he presents his commentary. Okay, gentlemen. You'll find that it's the same size of the mat back at our school gym. Don't worry so much about the size of the building. What you need to worry about will be down here on this mat. Everyone laughs at once. They get it. It's Friday. Of the three-day event, and Jordan is dealt the first blow and loses in the first round. In a large part because he ate too much after weigh-ins and wrestled like someone his team didn't even know. Jordan spoke to his team after the match. Disappointed but relieved, he offered his resolve. Sorry, you guys, but I can't make weight and wrestle 141 anymore. I'm going to go up to 148 next year. Everyone understands and shows him respect. Cutting weight can be very difficult for the growing teenage body. Lester and Rogan make it through the first round Friday, on to the next bracket. It seems that fate has intervened somehow, though. Lester's next match of the day will be against none other than his tough and talented arch-rival, Piscataway High School's finest, 
Jack answered. When Lester looks up on the board and sees his next opponent, he frowns and sucks his teeth together. Rogan offers encouragement, like always. That's all right, man. Now you can get your payback. Lester, very frustrated, whispers in response. Damn, man. Damn. In a blink, the time has come. It's now or never, and the only opponent that has ever made Lester take the game seriously is about to be standing right in front of him. When these two determined wrestlers step onto the mat, the standing room only gym will go into an uproar. They know about these two's athletics history. And with everyone poised and ready, Rogan stages to chronicle it all through his camera lens. There's an irony at work here. Rogan's qualifying class to graduate high school is tied to the task of filming Lester's qualifying match to win a state championship. The reality has beauty in it, as we see the two large young men, one white, one black, and both very talented. You can almost feel the heartbeat of the room as Lester and Jordan enter the map. Jordan finishes his encouragement to Lester, and we see Jack enter from the other side. Bryce immediately starts barking from the sidelines. He is standing there to represent our Garden High School assistant wrestling coach. It's now a Neville, man! Let's go! Bryce gives Lester that very matter-of-fact manner he operates from as he stares at him intently. Rogan gives Lester a penetrating and spiritual stare. All right, man, this is it. It's all you, he encourages. Lester nods appreciably as he methodically walks into the mat. The crowd is loud and bustling as expected. As always, Hanson did his wild man thing on the way to the center of the circle. The referee greets them and the two young men shake hands. The furious grudge match begins. Bryce and Rogan look at each other and tilt their heads. The two wrestlers go right at each other. Hanson must be strong because Lester is more tentative than usual in the clinches. After about one minute until the first two-minute period, the match looks pretty even. Suddenly, Hanson reaches in for an aggressive bear hug takedown, squeezes and grunts as he drops Rogan's friend to the mat. The referee is yelling with the two fingers raised, two points! Before the referee can get the words fully out of his mouth, Lester is on his back, struggling to avoid the pin. He twists and turns back to his base, but the score is climbing against him. Score, 5-0. Lester gets himself stable and executes a beautiful switch. Then Hanson, like clockwork, re-switches and is back in control. Score, 7-2. Vale, cupping his hands in front of his mouth, screams at Lester, Come on, Hendricks! You can get this back! I need another reversal! Rogan, holding his camera, yells, Up and out, Lester! Up and out! Come on, man! Bryce yells as well, Stand up, Lester! Let's go! But this time, Lester could not go. He was frozen in time, space, and position by the icy wind of fate against the truth looking back at him. The match goes the distance. Lester uses every move, every trick, every bit of strength, and every tactic. But he cannot climb the mountain that is Jack Hansen. Their match was, an, was as exciting as could be, but when it's over, so is Lester's high school wrestling career. Final score, 16-10. Lester is devastated, and no matter of consolation seems to break through his wall of disappointment. The show must go on. Rogan has won on both days, but needs one more win to move on to the finals on Sunday. 
Lester does not speak for the remainder of the day and stays home for the Saturday competition. Unlike their constant communication over many years now, Lester cannot find the strength to support his friend any longer, and Rogan understands why. Rogan's opponent's name today is John Perkin, a dark brown-skinned, strong, long, lean, and about 5 foot 11 inches tall master athlete. He is known as a takedown artist and is a returning state champion. Rogan was victorious against him in their dual meet earlier in the year, so this represents an important showdown. There is a legendary referee between them for this, um, this match. He is a black man who is known as one of the best referees around. He always reminds Rogan of Woody Strode, the old actor. His name is Harvey Pine. He's a fit, gregarious, no-nonsense man in his 30s, but staunchly professional. Bryce, standing near Vale, offers his left-handed encouragement to Rogan. Okay, let's see what you got. Rogan nods and moves his eyes left and right to look at both Bryce and Vale. They smile and look back. Vale looks deeply into Rogan's eyes and smacks him extremely hard on the butt as he runs onto the mat. Rogan arrives at center and looks back over to Bryce, who is smiling that sly smile. The two men shake hands and the illustrious referee blows his whistle. The important match has begun. Perkin wastes no time proving he is capable and ready. Before Rogan could set, Perkin is on his legs like a spider and the referee is pointing two fingers and shouting, Two! Perkin has gotten the takedown, but no sooner than the referee calls his points, Rogan has reversed the talented wrestler and is on top of him. We can hear the referee shout again amidst the loud, intense crowd, Two! Now Rogan is in control in what appears to be a fraction of a second. Rogan's eager opponent slithers away from him and off the side of the mat. He's literally kicking and pushing to help his effort. In dogged pursuit, Rogan follows him off the mat and grabs his waist with one hand, and an instinctive response to the kicking and overly emotional wrestling is about to punch him with the other, when referee Pine steps in quickly between them and blows his whistle repeatedly. He pulls both wrestlers back to the center of the mat and points a finger of caution at Perkin. Cut it out! Wrestle clean! He directs while frowning and looking directly at him. The referee then points to the scorekeeper's table and indicates that Perkins should receive one point for the escape and Rogan will receive one point for the rule infraction. Score, 3-3. Three, three. Both men stand there fuming and snorting like two poised bulls while the audience is going crazy. In spite of the circumstance, Vale is smiling and intermittently clapping as he continues to encourage Rogan, That's the way! Show him what you got! Let's go, boy! Let's go! Referee Pine blows his whistle and signals for them to mix it up once again. Bourne and Perkin grab each other furiously with bad intentions now. Suddenly, the buzzer sounds signaling the end of the first period. The action quickly resumes in referee's position. Rogan on his knees on bottom and Perkin on one knee and kneeling behind him on top. The whistle blows. Rogan immediately reverses Perkin and is on top as the referee shouts out again, Two! The score is now 5-3. Perkin is jerking and struggling as if his very life depends on this match, while Rogan is leveraging and controlling his movement. Suddenly, Rogan sees an opening and pancakes his slippery challenger onto his back. Vale screams, cut through the immense crowd noise, squeeze, Bond, squeeze! The referee drops down to the floor and is waving his arm in preparation to call the pin. Rogan is squeezing his zealous opponent as he squirts slightly away and screams aloud in what sounds like pain. The referee quickly blows the whistle and stops the match. 
He pulls Rogan from his opponent. They're both glistening with sweat, and referee Harvey Pine's hand slips on Rogan's arm as he's pulling him away. Val yells at referee Pine, What are you doing? There's nothing wrong with him! Rogan shows a confused frown and stands up immediately. He hovers over the supposedly injured athlete. Perkins' coach and trainer run to the mat and start a whispering exchange with their wrestler. The referee instructs Rogan to step to the edge of the mat, and he follows the instruction. Bryce offers a controlled but enthusiastic, enthusiastic whisper. Stay with him. You got this match won. Bale also offers an encoded, encouraging whisper. Okay, boy, stay settled. Stay ready. You're doing great. Come on now. Eventually, we see John Perkin pointing to his leg. Apparently, he has supposedly injured his ankle. Bryce, unable to restrain, blurts out, How can his ankle be hurting from his shoulders on the mat? Vale turns his head to look at Bryce with a fatherly frown. Bryce realizes the need for decorum. He twists his neck and presses his lips together. John Perkins' coach stands up and walks over to the referee. His wrestler cannot continue. Rogan wins by default. You can hear the crowd, re crowd respond, Ah! Perkins stands up and hops off the mat with his arms around the shoulders of his coach. Referee Pine raises Rogan's hand alone in the center of the mat. A moderate cheer can be heard from the crowd. Rogan walks briskly off the mat. Bale greets them. You beat that guy, Bourne. He doesn't want any more of you. Great job, Bale spouts. The emotion is high, and Bryce is the best example. He rushes toward Rogan. Bryce, uncharacteristically smiling and complimentary, offers his interpretation. Now that's wrestling, Rogan, still breathing slightly. And Rogan, who's, who's really, really excited now, answers back, Thanks, Bryce. Bryce, still shaking his head and still smiling, gives a compliment that Rogan could not have seen coming. That's the best wrestling match I ever seen, man. You won that. You made him quit. All this activity has given everyone some things to reflect on. And the next morning comes with a chance to make history. Time will tell, but Rogan has made it this far. Final day. Lester's back. Jordan's back. Bryce is anxious and ready. Most all team members and many people from the neighborhood are spread throughout the Princeton gym to see Rogan wrestle for the coveted New Jersey State Championship. Inside the quiet locker room, Rogan is sitting quietly alone on the floor with his back against the lockers before getting dressed. Lester walks in. Rogan stands and offers a crooked smile. They hug and shake hands like it's been a long time. Lester speaks first. Sorry I didn't make it yesterday, man. Sorry. Rogan, forgiving and energetic, offers his supportive reply. Man, you know I understand. I would have been messed up too. No sweat, brother. I want to do this now for both of us, for all of us. I ain't mad at you, brother. I ain't mad at you. Lester is obviously reflective. He lowers his voice to barely above a whisper. You know what, man? I was thinking about all this shit, though. I was really thinking about everything. Rogan is empathetic and feels like he completely understands. I know, man. I know. 
Jadwin Gymnasium, final day, main gym. Rogan is dressed, ready, and standing outside the mat, soaking in the moment. He surveys the imposing room, then looks up at the bracket names. Rogan Bourne versus Baron Sterling. Lester is standing alongside him. He is uncharacteristically controlled, calm, and invested. Lester offers his amazement when he realizes Rogan's opponent. Man, I can't even believe this! You're going to have to wrestle that dude again for your final? You have to beat him, Rogue. You have to. Lester shakes his head from side to side for inflection. Rogan offers calmly. I know, man. I will. Rogan is warmed up with a buzzing crowd surrounding and a supportive team behind him. He stands with headgear on ready to go. He turns to Vale with a penetrating stare only six inches apart face to face. After a minute, Vale steps back and grabs the chin strap on Rogan's headgear to fasten. Vale is deliberate, concise, and supportive. It's time for you to take care of Stalin now, like you should have the last time. This kid cannot beat you unless you beat you. I only ask one thing of you today. Go out there and be the best Rogan born you who lives inside of you. To hell with all these people, even to hell with me and your team. Right now, I just want you to do it for yourself. Do it for you. God damn it, you earned it. Rogan is staring at Vale, if he's, if he's, as if he's in a trance. He shakes his head, snail slow up and down. Vale gives one final directive. Then get out there and kick his ass. Rogan begins to bounce like he's jumping rope. We can see Baron Sterling over his shoulder doing the same while shaking his arms. The referee makes his way to the center of the circle. He waves the competitors in. Vale reaches over and gives Rogan the last butt slap of his high school career. He runs out to meet Sterling on the mat. The referee is waiting for the two competitors in the center. He speaks to them in a stern but calm voice. All right, gentlemen, this is for the final match of the season. Give me good, clean wrestling and obey my calls. The winner of this match will be state champion. Good luck, gentlemen. Shake hands. The two shake hands with strength, conviction, and look deeply into each other's eyes. The referee blows his whistle loudly and the match begins. Both wrestlers circle, touch, tap, dip, and faint, trying to catch each other off guard. Suddenly, Sterling drops to his knee and reaches in quickly to wrap his arms around Rogers, Rogan's leg for a quick single leg takedown. Just as quickly, Rogan throws his leg over Sterling's back and pulls him out from under for a fast reversal. The score is 2-2. Vale yells support. Great move! Break him down! Nice move, Rogue! Stay with him! Lester barks as well. Bryce offers instruction. Tight waist! Strong! The two wrestlers scuffle to the edge of the mat. The referee blows his whistle and breaks them up. They all head back to the center. Rogan has top position. Referees whistle and they start again. Sterling immediately stands up at the whistle and high knee runs, then spins out of the grass. One point! Score 3-2. 
The referee hurriedly blows his whistle, signaling the, the second period. They line up in the center with Rogan on top. The whistle blows and the two men tussle and grasp. Sterling at the edge is out again for an escape. One point! Score 4-2. Bale pacing from the sideline, barks direction. Born! Control! Come on, let's get this back! Shoot, Rogue! Shoot! Just as Lester yells, as if on cue, Rogan drops to his knee, as if he is committed to going for the leg. As Sterling sprawls backward, Rogan reaches around, over the back of Sterling's right arm, then under and over the back of his head, then pushes with his left hand for a perfect quarter Nelson. They drop. Sterling is now on his back. He's fighting and bridging with his neck, then throws his legs outward and slips out to the side. He is back up. Two-point takedown and two-point near fall. Both men are standing. Score! 6-5. The referee is calling the points as usual, but these two wrestlers are in their own world. They both want desperately to win. The two are moving and hustling for position toward the edge, and Sterling reaches in for the double-leg takedown. He misses one leg and hits a fireman's carry. He brings Rogan down right at the edge. The referee points upward and shouts, two! The wrestlers slide off the mat and are broken once again. Score 7-6. As they walk back, referee blows the whistle. End of the second period. Two minutes to go. Sterling on top. Referee's position again and Rogan fights to get out. Sterling rides him tough. They're at the edge again and Rogan attempts a long sit out. Sterling barely hangs on and grabs Rogan by the head and his headgear chin breaks off right at the edge. No points! Referee whistles, stops the match. The referee points to Vale and signals to get another headgear. Vale grabs one from his bag. Rogan walks over and while Vale is placing the headgear on, he whispers while barely whispers. This is all about you, kid. All about you. Whatever it is you came here to do, you better do it now. The two glance at each other with mutual acknowledgement. Rogan is sweating profusely. Rogan looks up purposefully as the headgear is now secure. He tightens his facial muscles, turns and trots back to the center. Referee's position again. Sterling is on top. Rogan braces and looks up as though he's searching for something in the stands. The whistle blows. Rogan pulls his leg from underneath. Sterling stands up. He grasps with both hands and peels his opponent's strong grip from him. Then turns around quickly, reaches under, and lifts Sterling high into the air for a perfect double-leg takedown. But he holds him up there like a Charles Atlas picture, holding up the earth. When he brings Sterling down, he scuffles to get loose, and Rogan sinks in that deep half-Nelson all the way around the back of his neck till he touches his chin and plants him on his back. He points his toes, extends, and lifts his chin to squeeze while Sterling fights and twists and turns. We see the two wrestlers close up with the referees nearby in the background, waving, 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 smack! With a loud whistle, the referee blows, pin! Bale throws both his arms high in the air and screams! Yes! Yes! Rogan jumps up and punches the sky! Lester, shaking his head slowly and gazing into the sky, whispers his personal acknowledgement. Yes, Rogue, you did it, man. Did Bryce is laughing out loud, almost uncontrollably. The audience is yelling, screaming, jumping, and cheering. The two wrestlers shake hands amid all the commotion. 
the referee raises Rogan's arm and he runs all the way around the mat circle and then over to Vale. He bear hugs him and almost knocks him down with Lester joining quickly in the community hug. Suddenly, Rogan's whole team runs in from the audience and joins them all at the edge of the mat. We look around the room with cheering people all over the building and the disappointed Sterling team on the other side dejected. We keep circling as the joy surrounds the room. After about halfway around, we see an image far away. As we grow closer, in between two large rows of bleachers, we see her face. It's Alma, Rogan's mother, standing there with her coat on like a visitor. She is smiling with her mouth closed and a tear falls from her left eye. She rocks her head slowly up and down, then walks out through the large door. The crowd yelling and cheering continues. It's Rogan's bedroom later that night. Lester and Rogan are sitting there, Rogan at his desk and Lester on the daybed reading through the newspaper articles from the state championships. The bright light is on in the center of the room, which it usually never is. Lester has taken fourth place, which feels a lot better now than it did before. He likes reflecting on the great event. Suddenly, Rogan's telephone rings. The blue trimline phone with the long cord is sitting there, still ringing on the desk. Rogan looks at it to allow one additional ring before picking up. He answers the phone with cool voice control. Hello? Rogan hears an unfamiliar voice over the phone. Can I speak with Rogan Bourne, please? The voice belongs to Coach Fulton, the 30-something head coach of the Morgan State University wrestling team. He's a brown-skinned large man, 300 pounds, with a deep voice and slightly southern drawl. He is sitting at the main desk in the Morgan State University Athletic Office. Rogan replies, Yeah, this is Rogan. Who's this? We hear the phone conversation between the two. My name is Coach Jerry Fulton. I'm the head wrestling coach for Morgan State University. Rogan's eyes light up. Lester can't help but wonder what's up. He whispers curiously, Who's that? Yo, who's that, man? What's going on? Coach Fulton continues. Listen, I've been following your wrestling season all year. I'm prepared to offer you and your friend Lester Hendricks a full scholarship to attend our school. Rogan's mouth drops open. Lester keeps whispering impatiently. What's up, man? Coach Fulton finalizes his pitch. We will handle all your tuition costs and supply you with an apartment. You're both excellent wrestlers, and we think you fit very well into our program. Rogan finally speaks up. Curious and confused, he asks, How'd you get my phone number? Coach Fulton answers happily. I spoke to your coach, Tom Vale. He gave me your telephone number. Rogan, still frowning from curiosity, asks again, How do you know about us? Coach Fulton proudly answers, oh, we monitor all the Northeast schools. We've got guys coming in from New York, too. There's some good wrestlers up there. Rogan, growing more curious, asks, where are you? Lester, with a now heightened whisper, insists, who is that man? Rogan frowns and points for Lester to hold on for one moment. Coach Fulton answers, we're located in Baltimore, Maryland. Also, 
We are an HBCU, historically black college, and we could use guys like you two on our squad. Can you get in contact with Lester Hendricks? Rogan, delighted to offer, replies back. He's sitting right here. Coach Fulton, now happy with the exchange. Good, good. Well, why don't you guys give my offer some thought and call me back as soon as you can. We'd love to have you. Rogan jots down Coach Fulton's number with his phone pressed to his ear, then says a quiet goodbye. He hangs up ever so slowly. He then turns in slow motion to Lester with a tilted head, a wondrous look, and says, We're going to college. So the question becomes, can we assorted human beings find the clarity and the tools to get into our respective zone along the way? Can we, in spite of those various fair and unfair barriers put in front of us, can we block out all of the noise so we can concentrate on the task at hand? In the end, in the final analysis, it just might be worth a try. No matter what's going on in your life that others might not know about, and no matter what challenges you are fighting through, you can find your way to clarity and vision if you adjust your focus, believe in your dreams, and live your life like you have no time to waste because in the end, maybe you don't. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of Round 12. May you live as long as you want, and never want as long as you live. May the worst days of your future be like the best days of your past. And may you continue to answer life's bell every time. Until we meet again, time!